The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, built by Kingsters for Kingsters, Poly, Queer, Trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. Featuring personalities as their authentic selves, this is What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. It's an intimate conversation with people inside the kink and fetish worlds, as well as educators, sex-positive personalities, and other amazing people sharing their stories of what makes them who they are. And now, here is our own wonderful human with the questions, John or as he is known around the kink and fetish community. Hi there, Catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and I want to thank all of you for joining us on a special Friday bonus episode of the show. I wanted to make sure you all got to hear this great story as a Paris-based pro-dom has compiled a book of beautiful images and interviews that take you right to the heart of the dominatrix. Inanna Justice is a pro-dom based in Paris, France. She is very active in the kink community and organizes several events, including a monthly pro-dom dinner called Dîner des Dons, a munch and play, workshops on safer play, femdom parties, and more. Always looking for new ways to entertain herself and her subs, she created a BDSM board game called Inanopoly, and is now developing an escape game for her dungeon, The Justice Room. The book, The Heart of the Dominatrix, is her most recent project, a beautiful collection of photographs and interviews with 21 women from around the world. Inanna Justice, on what women and other wonderful humans want. They are the questions that establish the story. Five questions about firsts, bringing back the genesis of the character behind the human. It's the first five, and it starts now. First time you ever considered writing a book? Oh, that's a difficult question. I have a literature background. Um, considered writing a book? No, considered editing books? Yes, I'm, I'm more of a reader than a writer. Uh, I think each of us has uh, special skills. Uh, as far as creativity goes, it's not my, my, my strong point in writing. However, I'm, I'm the person that proofreads newspapers. Uh, so I think that I didn't really plan on writing a book until I started talking about this project with a couple of girlfriends one evening. And at that point I said, well, why not? Let's, let's try it out. It was just kind of, it just kind of came up on a whim. And I, I tend to be quite spontaneous. Uh, sometimes I don't think about uh, what I'm getting myself into. I'm very <laughs> enthusiastic. I'm very enthusiastic and I want to do everything. 
so I was talking with a couple of Dom girlfriends, uh, fellow, fellow dominatrix here in Paris. And I said, hey, I've got this idea. I want to contact Doms from around the world, interview them, and put together a book with pictures. And they said, do it, girl. Go for it. That was two years ago. And I think that that was probably the real first time that I considered writing or in this case, more compiling and editing. I don't think I've ever done a two-part question on the first five, but I'm going to try <laughs> it now. First Dom you wanted to speak to and the first one you actually did. Uh, who was the first one that I actually contacted? I think it might be uh, Mistress Uriel because she's a girlfriend uh, in my personal life. She lives in Hong Kong. She's French, but she lives in Hong Kong. One question that interested me was expats because my views on femdom are not always the same as my French, uh, my French colleagues. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a lot of differences. And I think that my cultural heritage plays a part in that. And so I think Uriel was probably the first person that I contacted when I was just kind of testing the waters. Um, and one of the things I didn't necessarily just want to target big superstars of social media, for example. If, if you look at the list of wonderful women that are in the book, some of them are extremely well known. And some of them are just little tiny blips on the radar. Uh, but that they stand out for, for one reason or another for me, that they have something special. Everything was emailed. So I developed a questionnaire with uh, almost 70 questions. Um, again, going into this process, I had no idea what I was doing. I think that when I redo a book, which is on the, it's on my list of things that I'd like to do, uh, I will go visit these women in their dungeons, in their play spaces, I'll bring my own photographer so that we have more uh, continuity throughout the book. Um, I didn't really have, going into it, I didn't really have anyone particularly in mind. Uh, because she's a friend, because she's an expat, because uh, she has a, a real strong social media presence, she kind of popped into my mind first. Uh, it's easier to ask a girlfriend to participate in a project than to contact women on social media. So first I contacted people that I was in contact a little bit closer with, even if I just knew them from Twitter, but we had had some exchanges, extensive exchanges. I definitely reached out to, to those people first. Uh, and one major criteria for me for finding this, these women was that they each have a specialty, hypnosis, bondage, uh, religious role play, animal training, but they're very specialized in one or two things, uh, role play, they're all across the board, but they really have a specialty. I jokingly say that I can't be in my own book because I want to do every because I do everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of uh, again uh, like like my other projects with with BDSM. I'm very very curious, and mm. there's not there's so many things that I'm passionate about that I I haven't dug out a particular niche. Uh, but these, these women all that. have, these women, the women that I chose for the book, that was the major criteria, was that she specialized in, uh, in female-led relationships. She lives, she lives a, a matriarchal relationship 24-7. Uh, she specialized in role play. She mm -hmm. specialized in forced in talks. Uh, 
human equine training, adult baby diaper lover, uh, MedFet, uh, and their stories are just astounding because they've they've found what makes them tick and they've taken it to an, the next level. They've really gone deep into their little tiny private universe. And that was really important for me. There's 50,000 other women that I could have invited to do this book. And I think for, uh, for a, a future project, I won't necessarily find specialists. Uh, I might do women that, that touch on a lot of different uh, types of play. We'll see, we'll see. First question on the questionnaire. Let me look it up. <laughs> I, think, I think it was a simple one. It started pretty simple. Uh, how did you get your start in BDSM? Uh, what brought you to this world? I will ask you to answer your first question on the questionnaire. How did you get started? I'd, it's always been a part of my sexuality. I've always been kinky. Uh, I didn't know it was BDSM until uh, 50, Nuance, uh, 50 Shades of Grey came out. That was uh, when I learned the vocabulary of what I was doing with my partners. Uh, so thanks to that book, yes, there's 7,000 problems with that book. Everyone knows that there's the book is problematic. But for me, it gave me the gift of finding the vocabulary to describe the kinds of relationships that I was looking for, the practices that I was doing in the bedroom. Uh, and it opened up my world because I went right onto my computer and I looked at BDSM. I don't know how I missed it until, until that point. I don't know how it... it never was on my radar previously. I went on BDS, I went out to, I searched, Google searched BDSM, stumbled on FetLife and my world changed. First time you ever had a scene and what you <laughs> thought going into it. Um, first time, that's really hard to say because BDSM's always been a part of my sexuality. Mm -hmm. uh, my first sexual partner, uh, I pegged him, we slapped each other, we tied each other up, uh, we called each other naughty names. Uh, so it's really always been a part of, of uh, my sexuality in my, in my personal life. First professional scene uh, was a foot fetish scene. Uh, and it actually came about by accident. I, I went pro by accident. Uh, I was on a kinky dating website <clears throat> and I was con in contact with a foot fetishist. And uh, we couldn't find a time to meet. Uh, I, I always say I'm a fetishist of fetishists. Uh, I, I love all different kinds of fetishists and I love watching people get into their trip. Uh, he was a fetishist and we couldn't find a time to meet. And one day he sends me a message, are you available today? And I said, yeah, I'm available from three to eight or something like that. And he goes, okay, how much is it? I went, oh, <laughs> okay. My girlfriend at the time uh, was an escort. I called her up. I said, how much do I charge for this? <laughs> that was the beginning of Inanna. Uh, so my first, first professional scene was a foot fetish scene, really, really simple. Uh, and then it, it's evolved quite a bit from there. And that's just the beginning of the story of Inanna Justice. And we will be talking more about her life and the heart of the dominatrix a great new book that's coming out and we will have more on what women and other wonderful humans want in just a moment 
We do this show without paid advertisers and provide it to you as a labor of love. If you want to help the show, as well as contribute to Catsuit's conference fund to get live interviews and teach some amazing classes, you can give at bit.ly slash thanks, Catsuit. Now let's hear from some of Catsuit's friends with some messages for you. Hi, this is Venus, and I have a special message going out to all the single ladies listening right now. What if you could have a committed, loving relationship with a partner who is monogamous to you, but who would love to see you have sexual experiences with others? Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. You really can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. Learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com. Hi, Dawn. Hi, Dan. Recently, we put together a brand new book called Hearts and Collars, reflecting 20 years in a power exchange relationship. It's 350 pages of what we've been living for the past 20 years. Indeed, and it's got chapters like communication, power exchange and spirituality, how to be a leader, high protocol, becoming a follower, rituals, the new porch time, victim, survivor, and thriver, power exchange and polyamory, submissive versus wife, the practical contract guide, relationship short- shorthand, as well as other tools and experiences we've had over the years. Check it out at eroticawakening.com slash hearts and collars. Bye, Dan. Bye, Dawn. We invite you to connect with us on social media so you can follow all the great news about the show. You can find us on Twitter at WhatWomenWantP1, on Instagram at WhatWomenWantPodcast, and on FetLife at WWWPodcast. And if you want to follow the host, that's easy as on Twitter, Instagram, and FetLife, he is Hi There Catsuit. And now back to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. Back on the program with Inanna Justice from beautiful Paris, France. And Inanna, when you got the idea for this book, we heard a little bit about it in segment one. How difficult did you think it was to be able to put it together? Or did it just come together naturally? Oh, no, it did not come together naturally. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I had no idea what I got myself into, honestly. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was much, much, much more work than I thought. I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to send off this really extensive questionnaire with a bunch of cool questions. They're going to respond in five minutes or five days. Uh, and that they're, they're going to send me their gorgeous photos that are going to be the quality that I need. They're going to send the photo <laughs> release. They're going to send the photo release form signed by their photographers. It's not going to be any problem to get all of this information. And then I'm just going to send it to Amazon and everything's going to be done. No, <laughs> not at all how it went. Um, I probably contacted about 40 women to end up with uh, 21 uh, in the end. A lot of people, at first, they were really enthusiastic. Then they realized that there actually is some work on, on their end to do also because it was a written questionnaire. Uh, it took some time. These women uh, are very, very busy, and they took time out of their busy schedules to develop their responses, to share to share their insights on femdom, their philosophy, 
so they had they had work to do. And for some women, uh, they decided not to participate because they didn't they didn't they, they don't have the time. They didn't feel that it was that important. Then the pictures. Um, it was a much harder process than I thought. Some people sent me their pictures right away with photo releases. Some people, oh, I'm planning on doing a photo shoot in, in a month. I'm planning on doing another photo shoot in two months. Oh, I'm no longer in contact with the photographer that took this picture. We had a falling out. Well, I can't use that picture then uh, because if I don't have a photo release from the photographer, unfortunately, um, digital uh, image rights in France are the strictest in the world. So I mm. followed the, the laws here, seeing as I'm based here also and consent, consent, consent. Uh, of course. Um, so once I started getting the questionnaires back, uh, then it was time for me to edit, uh, which took a lot of work. Uh, a lot of the women are non-native uh, English speakers. I wanted to keep the text as true to what they said as possible. Sometimes I had to change a little bit of wording, uh, made some stylistic choices, of course, for, for the writing style, using, using the Oxford comma, for example. Uh, <laughs> Just a personal, personal thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I really wanted to stay as true to what they said as possible. So it was a questionnaire with almost 70 questions. I didn't want it to read just as question, response, question, response, question, one question with a response of, of maybe two or three lines. So what I did is I consolidated the information from those 60 questions. Some women responded to five questions, but really developed what they said. Some women responded to 50 questions and only put a, a couple of lines for each question. I tried to make the book uh, look as if um, there were fewer questions, much fewer questions. So we don't see a list of 65 questions, even for those women that did respond to a majority of the questions. Mm -hmm. we, don't, we won't see a long list of questions. I'll say between, on average, the book, uh, each chapter has between five and maybe 12 questions. So big editing process. Um, then there was the graphic design, <laughs> which is not my specialty. <laughs> Finding a graphic designer that understood the project. Uh, I wanted something sexy. I wanted something chic. I wanted something that I wanted to portray a woman on the cover without it being any one of the women that was in the book and, and not me either, because this book is not about me. It's about, it's about them. Uh, so it was difficult finding art. Uh, I wanted to have a woman photographer do the cover art. I wanted a woman graphic designer uh, for the cover. It was really important to me that this, this stayed really female-centered as much as possible. From the questionnaire, what was the question that seemed to have the most impact on the doms? The one that really brought out the best answer and the most authentic answer from them? One of them is certainly is, is being a dominatrix intrinsically political. Is, is, is being a pro-dom political? Is it a political move? Because being a woman is difficult in, let's not joke, living in the patriarchy, baby. Yeah. Uh, being a woman is difficult. Being a strong woman is even more difficult because we're a bitch, we're, we're, we're too outspoken, we speak our mind too much, uh, we don't follow the rules. So we got two layers there. Being a professional sex worker uh, adds yet another dimension. And I think that for a lot of us, it is a politi it, it's, it's political for us or has become in any case, perhaps it wasn't at first, 
but I think that uh, it, it seemed to be one of the questions that really provoked the most um, developed responses, the most insight. I'm going to kind of bring this back to you. When we look at the patriarchy, when we look at the sideways look that some sex workers get, when we look at the fact that countries make laws that just make no sense, you can show a person shooting somebody in the head and have blood gushing all over the place, but if you are wearing a latex catsuit, God help you. My book has officially been banned already. <laughs> I've been banned from, <laughs> I wrote a banned book. <laughs> Where did they ban it? Apple Books was the wow. first, first, first platform. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to get banned on other platforms, but they're the first ones that caught it. Less than 24 what? hours of being published on the site. Wow. When or how do you think we can get to a time when this doesn't happen? And I'm saying this because books like this, podcasts like this, are trying to remove any stigma there is because it turns out you all have beautiful stories and there is a reason you do what you do. And there is a beauty to doing what you do. And when you're able to see it through that lens, oh my gosh, you all are people that people want to meet, not people who people are scared of. Not at all. We're here to, we're, we're givers of joy and pleasure and, uh, and desire and fantasy. We live in a dream. What happens in this space here, this is my little medical corner and then the other, the other room's <laughs> the dungeon. Uh, what happens in this space is magic. The world does not exist outside of this space when I'm playing. Uh, how can we get there? Talking to our children. Talking to our children from the time they are infants about sexuality, consent, what, what a good touch is, what a bad touch is. I think my personal beliefs, and I'm not a mother, but my personal belief is that we need to start talking to kids before shame sets in. Because shame is something that comes later in life. Uh, Shame is something that's developed later. If we start talking about good touch and bad touch from the, that, the age of an infant, there's not that transition of, oh my God, when am I going to have the birds and the bees talk? When am I going to, when am I going to be able to discuss this openly? Uh, my partner has, has adolescent sons. He's got two boys. And uh, he goes, I waited too long to talk mm -hmm. to them. And my boyfriend, Kinky and sexually enlightened and a very progressive thinker and super feminist. But he's like, it, it, it was so hard. It, it weighed on my chest so much that having that conversation. So I think that one way that we can hope for a better future is not transitioning into shame. You know, not having that, that moment of, oh, you can't talk about sex. We all have a sexuality or are asexual which is still a sexuality. Uh, even if you, you don't have, the, the humans need three things. We need shelter, we need food, and we need sex. The three basic needs. We talk about shelter all the time, the improvements that we're gonna do on the home, mm -hmm. uh, where we're gonna go next, we, you know, where we're gonna spend our vacation because the house that we spend our vacation in is really important. We're always talking about shelter. 
uh, how, how we can improve our, our, our state of living. We talk about food all the time. The French are notorious for talking about the <laughs> next meal when, when we're at the table, you know, like we're sitting at lunch and we're already talking about what we're having for dinner. We're talking about food all the time. We don't talk about sexuality. And of course, uh, when, I, when I say sex, I mean sexuality in general, not, not, uh, not necessarily a penetrative mm -hmm. sex, uh, but any sort of sexuality, whether that means just stroking the hand of your partner because that's an extremely intimate act. Uh, but in, in my opinion, uh, we need to have these conversations earlier with our kids uh, that sexuality is normal and natural and that sex work uh, is normal and natural. Uh, to be able to provide joy for people that can't find it in another way because of a multitude of reasons. Uh, what a what a wonderful thing to be able to do to mm -hmm. provide pleasure. I mean, if we take it the other way and take the sex out of kink and go back to the fact that it is a beautiful connection between two people, do you think people would understand a little bit more? Because I think a lot of people are hung up that kink is a part of sex when kink is actually a part of two people understanding each other. Because for me, kink is about reality in a fantasy world. Kink allows me to get into a moment that I can't get into in the real world. And it brings me to a place where as you said about your dungeon, the world outside goes away. And for that 45 minutes or an hour, however long the scene is fortunate enough to last, you're in a world where you can just be. Perhaps, but I think it's really hard because we're talking about desire mm -hmm. and connection, which is so closely linked to sexuality. And let's not kid ourselves. There's a lot of sexuality in BDSM, even excluding any sort of penetrative acts. Mm -hmm. There's love, there's desire, there's emotional exchange. Uh, I think for me, it's difficult to make that separation. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't have penetrative sex with my partners uh, or they don't penetrate me rather. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm still making love with them. That's you know, beautiful. So I, I I think it's I think it's different. You know, for me, it's hard to make that separation between sexuality and kink. Can we do it? Perhaps, and perhaps it would be another way to uh, to tackle the subject. Mm -hmm. um, personally, I, I I can't. They're very closely intertwined, strictly based on the emotional the emotional aspect. I fall into this hopeless romanticism that everybody would eventually get what we do because I was brought up in Washington, D.C. society. I was brought up conservative. I was brought up every way that you would run away from all of this. And my search for trying to be normal ended up being a search of just trying to find where I was in the world, and it brought me to this beautiful world. Mm. 
to be able to let go. And what you all do as doms and what the wonderful women uh, in your book do as doms help people get there. And that's such a beautiful thing. And yes, I do romanticize about it. So I guess it is about love for me. <laughs> Let's talk a, a bit about some of the people that you talk to. Who was the person that surprised you with their answers? Meta Marguerite, uh, who is uh, on the board of DomCon. Her chapter is super well developed. She's she's very politically politically active. Mm -hmm. um, she she really really developed a lot of uh, a lot of the answers very thoroughly, uh, and she made me. She was the one that made me think the most when reading uh, her chapter the first time. It's the one that set off the most. Oh yeah, I didn't think about that, or. Even even if I, I don't necessarily agree with her on everything, it it raised my awareness on a lot of subjects. Uh, that was the, the most surprising chapter for me. But honestly, each woman, it's it's funny because on one hand, what I read validated my own views, and it also made me question my own views and my own values. Uh, and that's wonderful. They made me think. They made me push myself farther. And I think that that's something that's really, really important in uh, in community of any sorts, but particularly in the BDSM community, is exchanging with other people, uh, forcing ourselves to look at the hard questions, asking those hard questions, communicating before, during, after. Uh, it's so important, and, and I think that luckily the BDSM community is, in general, really good about that. The, the safe, same, consensual BDSM community, I'll say, mm -hmm. uh, is really <laughs> because we know that there's people out there that, <laughs> uh, but I think in general, the, the uh, a majority of uh, the BDSM community is really good at communication. And we ask the hard questions because if I'm going to suspend you by your toenails, blindfolded and shoot lasers at you, uh, <laughs> I need to know if that's okay. <laughs> Are you Dr. Evil? Shooting lasers. That's beautiful. Give me an example of one of those answers that change the way you are. that changed me? I, I don't know. I don't know if any answers changed me, but forced me to look at, I wasn't face out, uh, for example. And she said something in the book that really resonated with me. How can you be political if you're not willing to show your face? How can you fight for the community if you're not willing to show your face? I have personal reasons for not being face out up until this point. Uh, and it, it, it really, it was kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Like, okay, when I print this, I'm going face out. Uh, so I guess, yeah, I did. It did change my life. Uh, <laughs> because for the last week. Uh... <laughs> were there any of the doms that you were intimidated to talk to? 
because I know I've had some doms that I'm like Amanda Wildfire comes to mind. Uh, Lady Vi comes to mind, but it was exactly the opposite. Uh, Temptress Raven Eve, every time I talk to her, I'm scared, <laughs> but in a good way. Were there any of them that just seemed larger than life? Um, no, I think it's because I'm also a pro-dom because mm -hmm. a lot of them, uh, we at least followed each other for a while. Uh, there's less mystery for me with, mm -hmm. with other pro-doms. And also because of the way I went about it, it's not like I showed up on their doorstep, knocking on their front door, asking to, to interview. It was just an email, just an email with an idea. If you're interested, I'll send you the details. So I think that the, having that separation, that electronic separation and not being uh, in front of someone, uh, you know, had I, had I been at, at an event and, uh, uh, I was, I, I met uh, Izada Sin uh, a couple months ago. Uh, I probably would not have uh, had the courage to go up to Izada because she's surrounded by everybody. She's a magnet. She's just a magnet. Uh, I probably wouldn't have gone up to her and said, hey, I've got this project. Can you contribute a bunch of time? Uh, <laughs> and I'm not going to pay you, by the way. <laughs> uh, but I think that it, it was easy because it was just an email. It was, it came from a place of curiosity of uh, wanting to reunite community. Um, and if they said no, and, and a lot of women said no, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. And I didn't take it as a personal, it, it wasn't personal for me. It was just, they don't have time or the desire. And I totally get that because we can't do everything. Um, so there was, there was nobody where I was like, oh, should, should I contact her? Mm -hmm. Uh, pretty straightforward. I have to talk about one of my favorite people in the world, Lady Vi. Yes. Who, I will tell you the backstory, was scheduled to be on this show in our first season because she's, at that time, was from Seattle. I had heard about her when I was in Seattle. I was fascinated by this character that is larger than life. And it's like, wow. And the week she was on my show, she was going to be on my show. I get an email that says, John, I'm ready to do the show, but I can't talk about that. And I said, I'm not sure what that is. And then I found out. Right. She came on the show the minute she could talk about it. And we had this amazing discussion. And for those of you who don't know, Lady Vi had gone down at the request of a sub. I'm going to put it that way. So the story makes more sense. Along with another pro dom to shoot a fetish movie at the request of the client. The client happened to be a Catholic priest and he used the church to shoot it. And someone got nosy and called the police and everything went out of control from there. To hear Lady Vi tell her side of the story for the first time made so much sense. But the beautiful part about that is after we talked about that, we talked about her. And we talked about how she became the person she was. 
and that it had been this thing from childhood. It had developed. And she sent me an email afterwards that said, my mom listened to the show. And for the first time, she said, real name, I finally understand what you do. Oh, oh. Here is just one example of the, the 20-something people you have in your book. Was there one story that just touched you and made you sit back and cry and go, I so identify with this? All of them in, in, in some way. Mm-hmm. I think each one, uh, each one of them shared... Uh, details about their their childhood, their history, how they got into it. And I identified with, with a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, no one stands out for me as far as when, when I asked them to talk about uh, one of the questions was, do you have childhood memories associated with your kink? And there wasn't one that I was like, oh yeah, that was me. Stealing boys' lunch money, beating the boys up. Uh, for me, it was the electric fence. I used to make the boys hold the electric fence because I had horses. Uh, I've always been a fan of electric play. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. Uh, so I think we all, we have, a, a lot of us have similar stories uh, in that we had these kind of things going on from an early age. Uh, these kind of weird fantasies uh, tying up. I don't, I don't know how many times I tied my brother up. I don't have, <laughs> I have a younger brother we're just about two years difference uh and I don't know how many times I tied him up and stuffed him in a sleeping bag uh yes I think that that that's a theme for childhood in general also I don't think it's exclusive to those of us that are in 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 BDSM uh I think pretty much all kids tie their younger brothers up uh try to drown them, try to do whatever kids are mean to each other. So I don't think it's exclusive. Um, there wasn't one person that I was like, oh, that's my story. Because we're all so different. Because we're all so very different. Uh, what we have in common is uh, a need to exert our dominance, to be powerful, to take power, and not just uh, let people give us the, the small amount that they want to give us, but that we're we're there to show it, uh, to work it to our advantage, to to try to be strong, tough, uh, sometimes bitchy women, to get things done and get things done the way we want them. She's written the stories of so many dominatrix across the world and now we're going to talk a little bit about her story but we will do that with anana justice when we return on what women and other wonderful humans want presented by dating kinky you all know i love my cat suits and the ones that have never let me down come from the amazing winter fetish i've had some of them for 10 years and they're still going strong Specifically made for fetish play, these suits come in only the best spandex or PVC with zippers made for action. You've seen them in the House of Gordon. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. And now these suits can be yours. 
And if you use the code www.spandexcat, you get 10% off your purchase and you support the show as well. And as always, I give you this promo because I believe in what Winter Fetish does. So visit winterfetish.com and use the promo code www.spandexcat and get the cat suit of your dreams from Winter Fetish. Have you ever wanted to try something a little kinky in the bedroom but had no idea where to start? Or maybe your partner just told you they're into water sports, no, not the jet ski kind, and you really want to fulfill their fantasy, but you're nervous. That's totally normal. I'm Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist who's talked about kink in magazines like Cosmo, Playboy, and Glamour, and on my podcast, The Dildorks. My new book, 101 Kinky Things Even You Can Do, is a guide to some of the hottest and best-known kinks out there, from age play to zapping and everything in between. Each section offers three suggestions for ways you can try out your new interest with a partner or even by yourself. Curious? Order your copy now at 101kinkythings.com and start learning new things about your sexuality. This is Alicia Zadig, author of the new book, Yes, Mistress. I'm also Mistress Alicia, a leading dominatrix and BDSM expert. My book, Yes, Mistress, takes you on a provocative, eye-opening journey into the erotic worlds of kink, fetish, and female domination. Join me for a fascinating conversation. Male submission is more common than you think and more rewarding than you can ever imagine. Yes, Mistress, now available on Kindle, and you can order your copy at yesmistress.com. Hi there, I'm Nookie. My pronouns are she, hers, and I'm the founder of Dating Kinky, a different kind of dating and educational site for kinksters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. Catch me in my own podcast, Dating Kinky. And now back to John and their guest on what women and other wonderful humans want. Welcome back to the program, John, joined by Inanna Justice from Paris. You are not originally from France, are you? I'm not. Uh, I'm a West Coast American, uh, born in San Francisco, but spent most of my life in Portland, uh, in Oregon, uh, between between Portland and a small town uh, in Southern Oregon. Uh, and I came to Paris about six and a half years ago. Uh, I had just finished my, my studies in literature. Uh, and I wanted to learn the language. My father was French, but we never spoke French at home. Mm. And I lost my father right about the same time that I finished my studies. And I said, hey, I'm going to go live in France for six months. I want to spend a little time with my family over there, learn the language. Uh, I had always enjoyed traveling here. And I said, I'll stay for six months. If I like it, I can stay. I'm lucky enough to have uh, two passports, of double citizenship. I said, if I, if I like it, I can stay. If I don't like it, I can always come home. So I, I'm... I'm lucky in the sense that I, I had the option, uh, didn't have to deal with visas and all that. So it's been six and a half years and this is my home. I just love it. Uh, the, the culture is gorgeous. The social protection is incredible. Uh, 
Americans cannot even begin to understand how well protected we are socially here. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's wonderful in Paris, of course, City of Lights, uh, amazing architecture, amazing food. Uh, I have two big passions in life, uh, sexuality and, and food, sexuality relationships and food. Uh, so I'm, I'm in my happy spot. Something, something that really drew me to Paris also was I felt that it was much more liberal sexually than in the States. Uh, there's sex shops all over the place. There's sex clubs all over the place. Uh, we talk more openly about sexuality with our friends, much more than in the States. Um, and, and I wanted to explore that further. I was, I really wanted to, to, to dive, dive deep into, okay, what, what does that mean? How culturally is it, how, how different is it culturally uh, for sex? Uh, be that if you have one partner or a hundred partners. Uh, how does the culture shape that? It was a question that, that was really interesting to me and, and really built my life uh, here in the sex positive community, uh, going to a lot of play parties. All of my friends are kinky. Uh, whereas in the States, I was the first one of my friends to have a vibrator. I was the first one to go to a sex club. I was the first one to uh, do, do lots of things uh, kind of, uh, which at the time I thought were big adventures. Mm -hmm. uh, and first went to want to make my own porno with my boyfriend. Uh, and here it's a little bit less uh, taboo to talk about that stuff. Uh, and I think especially because I built my community in the, in, in, in the sex positive world here. Uh, going to festivals, going to lots of different clubs, even though I'm not really, I'm not really a swinger, but I love going to clubs. I love watching people make love. Uh, I love when people watch me. Uh, so getting to explore, getting to explore that uh, more easily here. I don't know how many sex clubs there are in Paris, uh, but we have two dedicated BDSM clubs already. That's huge. There's kink parties all the time. Um, so having so many options and, and in Portland, uh, when I was living there, there was one club, they did a really weird BDSM night and it was like <laughs> me and a bunch of weird dudes in the corner, uh, kind of staring and being creepy. Uh, the munches were not great. I, I don't know if that's changed a lot since, but I, I couldn't really find my community there. I had a really difficult time. Uh, my play partners in the States generally uh, were topping from the bottom. They were people that I met online. They were generally topping from the bottom. They wanted to get pegged. They wanted to get spanked, but they weren't interested in female domination, which mm -hmm. practices are one thing. Female domination is completely different. Mm -hmm. And that's what interested me more. Uh, the relationship aspect. Being a pro-dom in Paris, Obviously, you have a unique perspective having some American background. Does that help you there because it makes you a little bit unique? Um, I don't think it. No, I don't. Th I don't think that's primarily the reason why people contact me. I don't think they fetishize my Americanism, my Americanness. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that that really plays a part. I think that a lot of my 
clients come because I, uh, I have an extensive blog where I primarily talk about safety and security, mm -hmm. how to find a good dom, how to avoid a bad dom, how to prepare yourself the best way possible. What does SSC mean? What does RAC mean? What does, uh, you know, so I think that people see that uh, I have some knowledge and also that I'm, that I'm sharing that knowledge, that I want them to have the knowledge also. And I think that puts a lot of people in security, uh, knowing that, uh, that, I, that at least I pretend I know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. <laughs> so I don't, think, I don't think I'm fetishized for my Americanness. When I am in scenes, I find that obviously I'm in this wonderfully different world that I enjoy so much. However, even though there may be impact involved, maybe there might be predicament involved, there are times in kink where I feel more safe than any place in the world. I remember being wrapped up in a body bag and going, oh my God, I want to stay here forever. Not because there was anything sexual to it, but because I felt the greatest hug in the world. Same thing with a vac bed. Five minutes in that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel safe. When people come to you, are you ever surprised that that's one of the byproducts of it, that it's so much about the connection and so much about being able to be their authentic self that they can't be anywhere else? I'm less surprised by it now, but I so admire the people that come to me because it takes an incredible amount of courage to admit that this is important for, for someone and to, to go through the whole process, internal process, and then to get to the point where you're reaching out to someone uh, to live these desires. It takes so much courage. I have so much admiration for subs. Uh, they're so strong. They're so strong. To be able to, and because a great majority of my clients are, are cisgendered males, uh, for a man to say, I just want the privilege of kneeling at your feet. Like, I need that. In our society, that's, it's, it's not looked fondly upon. And so for someone to get to the point to trust me enough to contact me, uh, I love them for that. I love them for that. They're, they're so courageous uh, to admit their desires. And what's better than being able to live your desires and your fantasies? I usually ask this question in the first five, but I'm going to ask it as the last question for you. Describe the first time where you were able to look into a sub's eyes and realize that you changed their life. I'm so spoiled. It happens so often. I feel like don't we don't we change the lives of everyone we come in contact with? You now that idea of throwing a stone into the river and it's never going to be the same. It, it's it's the same with with my play partners, with my subs, with my clients, with the woman I met on the bus. Uh, 
I don't know. I, I don't I don't know the first time that I went, wow, he's never gonna be the same. But I know that it happens all the time. But again, I, I like I like that analogy of throwing a rock into the river and the course the course has changed. Uh -huh. Because that's what life is. It's a series of little rocks thrown into that river. Uh, and to be one of those rocks for these wonderful people. Well, what a blessing. What, what, a, what a lovely gift that, that, I, that I'm given all the time. Uh, that people trust me, admire me, respect me. Uh, and they, they, they let me do crazy shit with them. <laughs> They trust me enough to, to do some, some wild stuff with them. And that's a gift for me. Uh, something that I, they say frequently is, uh, I know you need me. I also need you. Uh, and I think that's important that, we, that we, we share that regularly with subs. That a dom without a sub is dangerous, first of all, but miserable. I need them. Uh, I know they need me, but I also, if I can't play, I'm not happy. Uh, it's really important for me to have that, that creative, energetic outlet of, of playtime. Um, yeah. That might be the most beautiful answer to that question I've ever had. Oh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I think that's a great way to wrap up the show, but I do want to hear from you about how people can get the book and any ways that they can contact you and be in connection with you that you would like them to. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the website for the book is heartofthedominatrix.com. From there, you can find links to Amazon and also to the ebook. Um, so for those of you that cannot have a gorgeous hardback copy of this book, I understand there is an ebook version. I highly recommend the, the, the hardback edition for those that uh, have a place on their shelves. It really is gorgeous. Um, I hope to find other distribution options in the future. We'll see how that goes. But for right now, Amazon, the book is gorgeous. Uh, 316 pages of full color photos. Uh, and of course, these, these interviews that I hope will make you think. Um, and, and feel even more importantly. And then my personal website uh, is Inada Justice. That's I-N-A-N-N-A justice.com uh, where I have my little blog, uh, again, talking a lot about safety and security. And if there's any uh, women, uh, female doms that come through Paris, please get in touch with me. I host a lot of events, including a month, uh, a munch, a monthly, the uh, Dîner des Dames, the Dom Dinner, uh, which just happened last night. So I do that once a month. Workshops on safety and security. We do a munch and play here with my partner once a month. Uh, so femdoms, please reach out. I love seeing you. Uh, we can just grab a tea or, or a glass of wine, whatever your preference is. Those are the two websites. I am so glad I was able to connect with you to talk about this amazing book and also to meet you. I mean, you are just an absolute beautiful example of a powerful woman with a wonderful heart. And I do appreciate you taking the time with me today. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. 
I really enjoyed getting to know this very experienced Dom who helped me understand the difference between continents and their views on everything we love. Her book is a lovely account of the powerful women we love and hope to meet someday and is a gift to the community to be sure. Here's what's coming up on the next edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. She is the host of the Seat of Your Pants podcast for Why Not, and one of the most well-known doms in America. She is Mistress Kai, who is literally the face of Exotica's Dungeon, where adult stars and fans take a look into the world of kink, but don't always have the reaction you might think. Mistress Kai and the collaboration of kindness and kink. Next time on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. A new edition of the show premieres next Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Always a pleasure getting to meet so many amazing people in this program and bringing their stories to you. I'm John, proudly known as Hi There Katsu. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time, and I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What women and other wonderful humans want connects with you. Join us on Twitter at WhatWomenWantP1, on Instagram at WhatWomenWantPodcast, for our kinky friends on FetLife at www.podcast, and now select shows are available in video format at youtube.com slash datingkinky. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky, built by kinksters for kinksters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. 